Hello, I am Cody Ellingham and this is the Transformation of Value podcast. This show is brought to you by Swarbricks, the first law firm in New Zealand to accept Bitcoin for legal services. The Swarbricks team are Bitcoiners and they are knowledgeable about the legal aspects of Bitcoin in New Zealand as well as general legal advice. Swarbricks offers a 20% discount for services paid in Bitcoin. Find out more at swarbricks.co.nz bitcoin. Now in today's episode I talk with Palash, an Indian Bitcoiner sharing his thoughts on how to bring Bitcoin adoption to the world's largest democracy. We talk about the sudden demonetization of certain cash notes by the Indian government, the new unified payment interface and Indian CBDC. Palash also shares his thoughts on how households approach savings, purchasing and gifting gold, and the social role of money. I do hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to support the show, please consider leaving a review or boosting some sats via your favorite podcasting 2.0 platform such as Fountain or Breeze. Otherwise, on to the show. Amazing to see you again. Yeah, no, thank you. And where where are you at the moment, Palash? So I'm in Delhi now. Uh, I was in Dubai for a few days and just came back last week. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, how how was Dubai? Dubai is good. Uh, uh, the weather is changing now. It's it's getting a bit cold. So yeah, but not that cold because you know Middle East uh, they don't have uh, you know that great winters as in Japan or in New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, I, I tell you though, it's been quite strange lately. It should be right. getting quite cold, but even today, it's still t-shirt weather here in Tokyo. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in Delhi, it's it's uh, starting to get cold a bit. Yeah, that's yeah. why I have this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that's um that's cool, man. Um, hey, look, I'm I'm keen to talk today about a couple of different topics. So, um, you know, when we met in person a couple of weeks back, you. You really inspired me with some of the stuff you were talking about in terms of how you see Bitcoin from an Indian perspective and sort of the role it plays in in such a large country. And I, I think it would be fair to say maybe that there's not that much coverage or focus on Bitcoin in places like India um, in the mainstream narrative of Bitcoin. Right. It's very much a US centric um, mainly English centric thing, but we all know that it's okay. it's money for everyone. And so I guess I'm keen to maybe start with a bit of your story, who you are, Palash, and I guess Bitcoin in India, if we can get to that topic today, please. Uh, Well, sure. Uh, But, you know, before uh, talking about myself, I would uh, just like to introduce myself as a normal uh, uh, human being, uh, working my, you can say, my ass off <laughs> to earn the money, as we call it. Yeah, yeah but it's it's uh, basically a you know mode of exchange or a medium of exchange that we're using. And now with uh, you know the decentralized money coming into picture, there are a lot of uh, things which are happening. So talking about my background, I am a major in finance, and I've worked with uh, you know companies like Fidelity and American Express. So you can understand where exactly I'm coming from and how I you know, understand money in a different way as compared to uh, people who are working you know, in non-finance jobs or maybe you know, uh, people who are working in, in different other sectors of, uh, you know, of the industry. 
So yeah, that's a small thing about me. Uh, coming on to uh, you know the, the the market size of India and what exactly is the position of uh, this decentralized money in India? It's uh, very challenging uh, in in my country, especially because uh, first of all, uh, the government uh, they don't support uh, the decentralized form of currency uh, very much. So it's still in a very you know darker side of the gray zone. Uh, you know, it's 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 falls under the gray uh, area. It it's not banned completely, but it's not legal as such. So it's a very gray zone, but on the darker side of it. Mm-hmm. So you can say that. Yeah. And uh, because of that, a lot of people are hesitating to use and transact uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, that's the biggest challenge. However, I would, uh, you know, I think I would like to, uh, you know, take uh, advantage of your platform right now to basically discuss a couple of, uh, you know, very intriguing points, which I think should be discussed every time, which no one generally discusses. Every Everyone in the community, if you think they uh, talk about orange pilling, uh, you know, the normies or the general public. But if, if you think about, uh, you know, from the perspective of a layman, you know, a person who's a small, uh, you know, maybe a supermarket owner or a person working in the supermarket, let's let's suppose, you know, I just go to a supermarket and you know, talk to that guy, uh, the manager, I try to orange pill him. And then after that, you know, maybe I try to uh, gift him some sacks, maybe, right? But what good or what use will he have if I cannot handhold him into the ecosystem? So I think that is the most important thing. And education is uh, the top priority, which I think uh, everyone in the community should focus on because uh, without the education of what exactly this, uh, you know, decentralized or uh, a money which cannot be corrupted, uh, I think that is something which uh, everyone needs to understand better first. And then only they'll be able to switch it. Because see, if I'm a, uh, you know, uh, let's say a daily wage earner or a person who is, uh, you know, doing a blue collar job, who doesn't understand uh, Bitcoin or, you know, uh, or or any form of money, what will I want out of my life? I would just simply want to, you know, go to work, you know, earn for my family, provide the best things and the and the resources to my family, you know, maybe go for a vacation if I'm uh, at that level, right? Uh, and and uh, I think that's it. I just want to be happy in life. That's mm-hmm. that's the whole uh, uh, motive of a general normal human being. You know, not everyone can be a saint or not everyone can, you know, become a freedom fighter kind of person who's fighting for a cause to, you know, bring that global financial change like you or uh, you know, a lot of other people in the community are doing. But we need to understand that aspect as well, that, you know, at the end of the day, we are we are social animals, we are human beings, and we need to live in a society where everyone understands the same language. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I, if you come to India, and, and if you talk to a bunch of people who doesn't understand English, you will not be able to express yourself properly, right? So it's the same way, you know, if, if you compare Bitcoin with language, uh, you can say, you know, going to Japan and don't know Japanese, right? Or, or, or 
you know, talking to people in Japan in my, uh, you know, home country's language, maybe Hindi or whatever. There are several thousand languages in India. So it, it's a very, you know, difficult situation at that point of time when you try to make someone understand about Bitcoin, but he doesn't understand the concept of money. So he needs to, or any person needs to understand that basic core, uh, uh, you can say the formula of money, how exactly it is derived, what value are we preserving or restoring, and what values are we exchanging. So I think these are the you know points of focus which you know people should understand. Yeah, that's really interesting. Just diving into that a little bit, how would you describe? And obviously, India is a huge country, uh, with you know with uh, over over a billion people but in general how would you describe your understanding of the cultural relationship to money wealth savings how do uh, people either from your area or more widely within india how do you feel you could describe that relationship uh, well uh, if you talk about india as a country uh, they definitely understand what uh, you know saving money is and that's why during the GFC back in 2008-9, uh, you know, India was the, uh, you know, was the only country which survived that uh, financial crisis. Not to that extent we were hit, but we were hit, but not to that extent. And the only reason because, uh, you know, we had great household savings. So, you know, generally, uh, you can say women in India, they have a, you know, very good habit of saving money every month. Right. This is uh, what they do here. And uh, the second best form that they think is, uh, you know, saving in terms of gold. So gold jewelry and, uh, you know, gold, gold ornaments is something which uh, women love here in India. And I think, uh, you know, if, if you go to any any household in India, uh, like, you know, uh, an average middle class family or an average person, you would find gold in, his, in, in, in that particular family. And it would be stored. Uh, the women would be the owner of that gold, right? And uh, that is how they understand that, you know, because it has been a proven form of money uh, since a very, very long time, maybe more than 5,000 years. So they do understand it better. Uh, they can see, they can hold it physically and they can wear it. And that's uh, what they love, right? We, can't, uh, we cannot <laughs> use it in a yeah. form of an ornament, right? Unless we have a hardware wallet. <laughs> yeah. Just dr drilling into that, Palash. So I know this is sort of uh, perhaps, what, what would you say, a, a stereotype in a sense. But I know in Japan, certainly... The historical stereotype is that within the family, the the husband or the father is the the worker, the salary man, and the the wife looks after the household finances. That's sort of a, a classic stereotype, which I think isn't as relevant today as it was, say, 40, 50 years ago. But certainly, that cultural idea of you know the the household, um, you know, everything within the walls of the house being run by the the wife or the mother. Uh, certainly is something that we have here in Japan. And I'm wondering within India, you mentioned, uh, you know, women love love the gold. They um, are maybe responsible for that side of things. I mean, is there certainly that, would you say there's that aspect that the household finances and that kind of savings aspect is more for the, the wife and that sort of female side of the family? Or how would you describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in India as well, it's it's uh, I think uh, more or less uh, on the same thing, on the same side that you know uh, uh, 
men are generally you know uh, working and women are basically taking care of the house and the family but i think uh, now uh, because of i think the cultural shift uh, towards the western side i think the same is happening in japan as you mentioned mm. and the same is happening in india as well now you know nowadays uh, both men and women are working right uh, but yeah still the finance uh, or the control of the house is still uh, it's interesting because the, I mean you're right the the way it sort of come through is very very much a western thing and arguably it's actually a very fiat thing for women to enter the, the workforce like that you know and it's almost I, I sort of you, you may may have noticed a hesitation in my voice when I talked about it but um, certainly it's you know it's been many decades now in I can in, feel New that, yeah. in New Zealand, <laughs> but I mean, I know for, for, certainly for my my grandparents back in New Zealand, you know, it was always like that. My grandfather worked, and my mm-hmm. grandmother had you know had the family and looked after the house, and so we've moved a, a very far from that. But in a place like India, that changes the question though, because it sort of implies that this Bitcoin story it very much needs to take on. A, the language and the way of communicating that responds to what the the wives and the the homemakers are looking for, and so it's a very different way of communicating than say Bitcoin maximalist Twitter, you know, which is a very <laughs> different space. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's a that's a totally different space, and uh, that's that's what I was uh, telling you. You know, initially that uh, as a human being, as uh, you know, it. it uh, doesn't matter whether I'm from India or from any part of the world. I want to live a simple, happy, and you know, prosperous life. I I want to you know give the best to my children, pass uh, you know pass on the best things that I can do for my family. You know, provide the best to them, and you know that that is what will make me happy. Because uh, see, at the end of the day, money is uh, basically a tool to you know uh, get you in a more comfortable zone. Maybe sometimes make you happy. Even though we say that, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness, but still, you know, it can buy you crazy as happiness if you have a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think, yeah, of course, uh, there is a shift, and especially talking about India. Uh, I think the, the landscape is very different because uh, if we are able to tap the Indian household or the women of India, I think uh, that's where the game-changing thing will be when, you know, the, all of the money flowing into gold, uh, you know, from the household savings will start flowing into Bitcoin. So I think yeah, that that's a very uh, secret source to tap the Indian, uh, you know, Bitcoin market or, or the Indian market if you especially want to uh, get hold of, uh, you know, the people. Yeah. What's the mechanism in terms of gold, for example? How how does that work? Do do you find there's a lot of local gold dealers, or do people buy paper gold? Like, how does how does gold work in India? Mainly, it's uh, the gold jewelers. Uh, there are a lot of uh, shops nearby. You know, everywhere you can find gold jewelers here. They're certified jewelers, uh, certified by the ISO standards. So you can just buy, go and buy. Uh, gold over there physically there are two forms of investing or saving uh, i can say which generally people do one is the pure 24 karat gold uh, which is generally stored for long-term investments the other one is making jewelry but you know india has a culture and tradition where during weddings or you know maybe during birth of a child or birthday parties or or you know 
uh, different family functions there is a tradition of gifting gold to your loved and uh, you know dear ones so that is what people generally do here uh, let's suppose you know there is a family or uh, you know family wedding or a wedding in my family where you know maybe my cousin is getting married i would uh, you know go and gift him gold you know some gold jewelry maybe a ring or a you know a locket or whatever it it may be so that is something which becomes a form of uh, saving and investment so it's a gift as well as it's an investment for them and they understand it better because they had been seeing it all through their lives you cannot change you know the narrative right uh, you know in in maybe a decade which has been going on for 1000 7000 of years right there needs to be a very big shift to change the narrative from saving in uh, you know gold to saving in bitcoin like very recently i heard a couple of years ago you know uh, after covid after after the uh, covid lockdown there there was uh, a couple in india in india itself i think they are based out of canada or somewhere and they you know decided to uh, the family decided to gift uh, the children uh, in bitcoin not in gold so i think that was the first and and that was i think a headline as well in in some you know news outlets Yeah. So now the narrative is shifting when people are starting to understand that maybe one or two people are doing it or one or a couple of families are doing it but slowly and steadily i think this is something which is going to change because i i understand that you know uh, let's suppose when when i was born or when you when you might have been born uh, we didn't see uh, television or phone or smartphones like the way they are right now and when our kids will you know see all these things they'll be born they are born with all these things right so the mindset that they have is totally different from what we have and every generation you know the mindset is basically shifting towards technology towards digital payments towards you know the internet so it's it's a vast uh, you know it it, it, is, it is something which will take a lot of time is what i believe as as compared yeah. to the you know the bitcoin maxi community which thinks that it might happen overnight and you know the price will shoot common man doesn't have to you know worry about the price of bitcoin they just want to you know work and enjoy their life yeah well something you said that's quite interesting is that social function of money and this kind of gifting culture which i think I mean maybe say in New Zealand we would be familiar with getting a little bit of money from your grandparents for your birthday or some birthday money that sort of thing but it's not really a major social function it's sort of almost I wouldn't say taboo but to give someone money it, it sort of is in this funny space it, it's sort of you know you, you for example to 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 give a wedding gift often you 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 give an actual gift an item such as a piece of i don't know home homeware or something right. for the kitchen that sort of thing as opposed to cash outright whereas in india and i know japan different places there is this these social functions of money and even for example in china um you know you have this these festivals where you burn this kind of fiat the these kind of paper notes they're not real money is quote unquote but the um money for the dead you know and so you you burn it and it you know becomes available to them in the afterlife you have these kind of rituals and social functions of money and i wonder you know because bitcoin lacks that tangibility it's sort of challenging right now to to do that there are some things out there like open dimes 
you know, small yeah. kind of one-off hardware yeah, wallets yeah, yeah. and things like that. But they're not necessarily easily identifiable or not very easy to understand, you know. Um, and so I think maybe there is an opportunity there to develop some of that gifting culture, you know, and so Bitcoin can fulfill that social function, which is clearly there in many societies around the world. And it's just how do you make it easy and almost tangible somehow so that it feels like maybe even if it's a seed phrase written on a, on a gift card, you know, um, something like that. Well, I don't know. So uh, I have a very funny story uh, regarding Open Dime. I tried to gift one of my friends uh, Open Dime on his birthday. And that was like, uh, you know, quite a, quite a few years ago, like back in, I think, 2018. So I, I tried to gift him, uh, you know, an Open Dime. And he was like, what will I do of this? You know, just, just you know, <laughs> throw a party for me and that'll be fine. So I think, yeah, the... Uh, and and again, we come back to the same, uh, you know, the same points here or, or, you know, the same platform that education is the most important thing. And now he, you know, uh, he's, he's like, you know, I, I should have taken that open time from you. Oh, did he not take it? Did no, he give no, it back? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he, he gave it back. He was like, you know, what will I do of this? I, I don't want this. Yeah. So, so exactly. Education is something which is very necessary, you know. Yeah. But when I told him that, you know, just keep it and, you know, it will grow over time. And this is my gift to you. He was like, no, 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 man, I don't want this. Just, just you know, throw a party for me. That that would be enough. And I was like, fine. You know, that party costed me more than, you know, the, the Bitcoin, which was there in that open line. But yeah. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Well, I mean, I guess on that note, you know, people not understanding it, often experience can be the best teacher. And I wonder, what is the lived experience right now in India in terms of inflation, in terms of monetary stability? Um, has there been any challenges or things that have been a teacher for people around money? Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of examples. Like, you know, uh, the biggest example I can give of myself is, you know, uh, so back in 2016, I remember it was November 2016, 8th or 9th of November, and 8 p.m. in the night, uh, you know, uh, our prime minister came on television and he said that suddenly, you know, all the banknotes will be banned and there's a demonetization that is happening in our country. And overnight, everything turned, everything changed. So that was uh, the biggest trigger for me because, you know, at that point of time, I was in office, I was working. I just ended my shift at nine o'clock that time. And, uh, you know, I came out, I went for dinner and no one was accepting my 1000 rupees note. And I was like shocked. I saw the television and I was like, what the hell happened? You know, my notes are worth nothing. It's, it's a piece of trash. So that is, uh, you know, where my eyes open. And I think a lot of people uh, started to think in that direction. And very recently, uh, you know, when they introduced uh, a 2000 rupees note back then in 2016, after that, again, this year, uh, the same thing happened that 2000 rupees note, they have now completely banned it. It's out of circulation. And they have, again, done the demonetization. Nobody's talking about it. But just try and understand, you know, people who are saving money, who are working for money, you know, so-called money, which they uh, generally don't understand. And, uh, you know, that piece of paper is suddenly banned right there. You know, what do you do? 
And that's where, uh, you know, Bitcoin comes into picture that your Bitcoin cannot be confiscated, not be demonetized. It cannot be banned overnight. Or even if it is banned, you know, uh, there are still ways you can do some P2P or, or you know, because it's a peer-to-peer thing, you can go in any part of the world and use it because it might be banned in one particular geographical area, but maybe others are open for it. So maybe, yeah, I can come to Japan and, and maybe spend my coins. Yeah. Well, that you, you mentioned 2016. Was that the 1,000 rupee note that got Yeah, the 500 banned. and the 1,000 rupee note. Yeah, there were two, uh, you know, were, those were the two uh, big notes, uh, 500 rupee note and a 1,000 rupee note. Both of them were changed. Both, both of them were demonetized at that point of time. So that was basically, uh, you know, under the... Uh, plan of curbing black money into the system and uh, counterfeiting of notes. So there were a lot of people who were printing fake notes and uh, that is what the government didn't want. And, you know, because of that, this happened. So with Bitcoin, all of these problems and situations can be solved. You cannot counterfeit your Bitcoin. You cannot print more of it at your will or at your ease. Definitely you can mine it in your home but you cannot counterfeit it, right? So these are, uh, you know, I think some very important lessons for people to learn. But generally, you know, people have a tendency to forget things very easily. And there is always a next narrative which is coming. So, you know, after these things happen, there were a lot of other things which were simultaneously going on. And people just forgot what exactly happened. Yeah, well, I just had a look. Two thousand rupees. I mean, that isn't a huge amount of money either. So that's a relatively low denomination if you think about it. Like, um, it's maybe yeah. I mean, I got here two thousand rupees is about twenty four US dollars. That's right. So uh, to ban a five hundred rupee note, I don't know what the purchasing power would have been back then, but it feels like that that's the sort of note maybe you would use on a daily basis, right? That's right. And and so to suddenly ban that within hours, that becomes unusable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must have been quite difficult. What was the reaction of, of, of people against that? So, uh, you know, the reaction was, uh, you know, quite horrendous because a lot of people lost their lives as well during that time because there were a lot of, uh, you know, chaos. You know, everyone was standing outside of the bank. There were stampedes. There were a lot of things happening. You know, few people lost their lives as well. So that was the kind of situation which happened because they gave a certain time frame, a certain time window, wherein, you know, you have to exchange your, uh, you know, old notes to the new ones from the banks. And there's a like a 30 or a 40 day time period for that. So everybody wanted to do that. And you see in a country with a population of 1.4 billion, you know, it's it's a big challenge to do that. Yeah. It cannot be done overnight. It cannot be done overnight. Yeah, the note was denomin- um, demonetized straight away, but there was a, a grace period to transfer that into the new yeah. money. I see. Yeah, okay. yeah. But very so difficult. They, they took back the old notes and and they you know gave you the new ones. I so see. That was that was the way of doing it. But again, you know, there was a challenge. Uh, so you know, there were lines uh, in front of ATMs in banks. You know, hundreds of people just rushing into the banks trying to you know exchange the money. Again, you know, the poor and the common people always suffer in these kind of situations because, uh, you know, people with a lot of money, they were again holding those notes and, you know, 
they they got a hold of it easily because they had that kind of money and power mm. right so i think that was uh, the biggest turning point in my uh, you know journey of bitcoin and uh, moreover uh, on top of it if you talk about the inflation infla- inflation is definitely going through the roof everywhere in the world mm. and we talk about inflation in terms of you know rising prices of groceries you know oil or maybe daily consumables but we need to also understand you know inflation also includes uh, you know the lifestyle that we follow or that we want to follow and that lifestyle inflation is something which no one you know talks about if you if you think you know let's suppose if i have a 100 dollar android smartphone and if i want to upgrade to a an iphone it'll cost me a 1000 dollars that 900 dollar extra is you can say a part of my lifestyle inflation mm-hmm. but you know nobody's talking about it that's again uh, you know uh, something which is extra on my pocket if if you know i want to go for that mm-hmm. it's definitely a choice for everyone you know whether i want to continue with the same old phone or with the same kind of model or within that same range but if i want to upgrade you know i have to spend more yeah i say so, yeah inflation is definitely there and it's it's eating the savings of the you know common man yes. eating away what what would you say the situation is with the banking system in india so for example 1.4 billion people many people who are extremely poor um how do they engage with the banking system is there a large number of unbanked people in india yes certainly there are a lot of a large number of unbanked people in india but uh, i think over a period of uh, last 5 6 years uh, mainly after demonetization the conditions of the bank or the way they are working has changed drastically and it has improved a lot i, w- I would not say that it has not improved certainly it has improved we have gone digital completely uh, uh, in the sense that you know you can you know go buy a grocery worth maybe a couple of dollars and just pay uh, using upi so upi it, it's a, it's a unified payment interface that's uh, upi which the government has introduced and it it has you know to a great extent touched every common man in india oh, i say so the payment yeah the payment and the banking system has quite significantly improved, improvised but uh, again you know uh, we as bitcoiners will still say that you know <laughs> there are a lot of challenges in that because again if you talk about kyc if you talk about privacy if you talk about you know uh, uh getting to be noticed in the ecosystem you know when you are spending anything if you have done kyc for it i think you can be tracked everywhere and anywhere in the world that where you are spending on what you're purchasing and what you're doing you know wherever you are traveling you you can be tracked everywhere yeah Well there just talking about the UPI briefly so uh I mean what is what is the experience say you, you know in in the villages and different places is it a card based system or is it a phone based system how, how does that work So it's a phone based system you can uh, you know just download uh, any UPI app in your system there are different uh, you know ones that have come up so uh, if you talk about paypal uh, there is a, a similar system called paytm or or an app called paytm in india and there are a lot of other apps as well but paytm was the most uh, you know uh, is the most common uh, commonly used uh, app you can just go and you can 
scan the QR code, make the payment, like you know you're, you're doing in Tokyo. So it's it's uh, the same thing that we're doing here, that we're using here in villages. Yes, uh, they are using the same method because it's very easy to you know. Uh, I think uh, in India, uh, the internet is quite cheap. Right, as compared to all the other parts of the world, it's quite cheap, and I think that is a blessing in disguise. You can say uh, people have got access to uh, smartphones and internet. They have, uh, you know, you can say, got a lot of education because of that. They are now more open to learning new things, and UPI is a part of their learning, which they have inculcated in themselves. So yeah, it's it's a great learning for them and everybody is now using it you know you you go to any hawker you go to any you know grocery store you go to any food seller at the corner of the street they will all be accepting upi in india so oh, wow. you know, if you have upi in india you don't have to carry your you know your uh, credit cards or cash or anything you just have to carry your phone and you can make payments I'm, I'm just curious what would you say is the difference say between upi and a visa or mastercard in terms of acceptance if you if say I was going to turn up to India, would I how much more UPI acceptance would I see versus a card systems? I think UPI is way ahead now uh, because you know every uh, grocery store you will uh, go or everywhere anywhere you go, you know maybe at uh, McDonald's you go they everywhere in in India I think they are using UPI. I think the penetration is more than eighty percent in the market. Oh, wow. So that's a huge huge number. Uh, you know, uh, talking about the population as well. So that's a very huge number. And uh, MasterCard and Visa card is definitely uh, one of the oldest and proven method uh, which people were earlier using. But now it's more comfortable for them to just, uh, you know, uh, keep a QR code on, you know, so let's suppose there is a food seller who has his own card. He can just keep a QR code uh, on, on top of his card. Anyone can come in scan it, pay, pay him, the money will directly go into his bank and he can just, you know, uh, give you the, you know, the goods that you want. So it's, it's that easy. Well, and can you do you that? You don't have to carry, you don't have to carry a swipe machine for a master or a visa yeah. card. You don't have to do that. Yeah. I mean, and does it, how does that work, say, just for peer to peer? So you want to pay your brother some money. Can you also just use UPI yeah, for that? Yeah, absolutely. We can do that. So with the app, uh, everyone gets to have his own personal QR code. With that QR code, you can just simply pay it. Or now it has also been linked with the mobile number. So you can, you know, with your mobile number also, with you know, inserting the mobile number, you can just make the payment to your friends, your family, anywhere. Yeah. Any person you want. Well, I guess what stands out to me, Palash, talking about that is what you're describing very much maps onto a, a lightning kind of Bitcoin ecosystem a lot better than, say, a Western mindset or a New Zealand mindset towards cards. I was about to come to that point, actually. And it's technically for free. The UPI also is technically for free. Same as lightning. Uh, but I think now lightning fees is going so, a bit higher. <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, was, so this was a, the, the Indian government put this project together. Like how how did they, who did they mastermind to, to bring this all yeah, together? So it, it was an initiative of the Indian government. Yeah. 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 So they have, uh, you know, formed a specific team under the Ministry of Finance and they were the ones who did it in, uh, you know, collaboration with the Reserve Bank of India. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess... I mean, we're we're talking about this centralized, you know, government-led thing that is, 
you know far superior to the the card based systems and and that sort of thing and I mean it's funny though because the government is the the one who's also led this demonetization of certain notes and and led you know led to inflation and all sorts of things as well but what I guess what I'm identifying here is that there is this culture of using smartphones using this QR code based payment system uh, enabling peer to peer payments without having to have a card reader or any of that junk and again that maps on very well to something like lightning and I wonder just coming back to the education piece that you talked about I mean, what are the resources out there and how do Indian people learn about Bitcoin? I mean, is there much out there in, in Hindi or in the different languages of India to help people learn about it? So, uh, see, uh, as we all know that Bitcoin is not a company, it doesn't have a CEO or any marketing budget or anything. It's, it's you know, it's all decentralized. It's like nature, as, as if you remember, we discussed yes. this. Thing. So it's like nature, you can find it everywhere, anywhere, uh, and in different forms. So uh, the thing here in India is uh, there's no such formal, uh, you know, you know, uh, conversion of any books uh, in Hindi or any, uh, you know, regional language. But yeah, there are people who are now working on to building material and, uh, and Bitcoin related stuff which can help people educate themselves about, you know, this new form of money that you're talking about. So, yeah, yeah. There, there, but uh, I would say there's a huge scope uh, and there's a, you know, a big void which needs to be filled to give proper education in India. In yeah. fact, if you if you talk about that, a lot of, uh, you know, the new generation, they are all using, uh, you know, the cryptocurrencies and the Bitcoin or the, you know, the altcoins as we name it, they are dealing in it, doing it, trading it. But again, uh, they're, they're not using it for their day-to-day activities. Yeah, interesting. Uh, for, for spending somewhere or maybe for, you know, gifting it to someone or something like that. That's, yeah. that's still not happening. We are not yet there. It will take some time, but I think it will happen. We're not yet there. And with the... Um, Indian Reserve Bank. So we talked about demonetization before of the 500, 1,000 and 2,000 rupee notes. Overnight, effectively, those those had to be changed and you had to go into the bank and line up to get new notes. Do you see any bigger challenges with what's happening with the Reserve Bank in India? Are there issues? I mean, you mentioned inflation as an issue, but how is that tracking politically? Uh, is there unrest or discontent towards the actions of the Reserve Bank? Uh, I think, uh, see, it's it's all about, you know, creating new narratives every time. <laughs> I think uh, COVID was a distraction, you know, to uh, maybe to build something at the backdrop of it. Uh, we don't know it yet, but maybe it'll unfold uh, in a very short span of time, maybe it will unfold within this decade. Maybe it is the largest monetary switch, which we will see, uh, you know, in our lifetime. So th- there, are, there are a lot of things which are happening. Governments, you know, they do have a tendency to you know, change the narrative very quickly, right? If If they want to achieve something which the general public would not like, they would quickly do it. And shift the narrative to, you know, maybe some cricket World Cup or maybe, you know, <laughs> if you talk about any sports related thing, 
or any uh, religion related thing maybe you know building a temple or as you know the largest structure in the world or something like that you know so these are the things which generally uh, you know are uh, are a source or a tool for them to basically distract normal people from understanding what is going on behind the scene mm. right this has, this has been happening throughout history right mm. this is how entertainment and you know art and culture was created in the world right back back in the days like centuries ago you know all these kingdoms when they had the kings they wanted to do something and they want to cover it up so the cover was basically in the form of those you know art and culture activities or something like that so yeah there there is an interest in people people do understand everything they they are not fools they are educated everyone is educated now so they they do have their own brains they're working so they understand everything but again they are lost in the world wherein you know a person can just you know work for himself and after that he want to spend time with his family he doesn't have time to maybe go out on the you know streets and and shout for freedom right or or to show uh, you know that uh, that that kind of agitation sometimes they do you know on weekends they they would just you know gather at certain point and certain place they would just show their uh, you know uh, anger but i think other than that they are not doing anything else it's it's all uh, a new narrative next day yeah what would you say is the relationship with the us dollar how do people see the us dollar compared to the indian rupee and what how do they value it differently how do they value it so well uh, you know talking about the us dollar it has been uh, steadily appreciating over time uh, i remember back in 2015 16 it was somewhere around 60 rupees for a dollar now it's almost 83 84 rupees for a dollar so it, it it has gone up more than 40% in value if if you talk about you know the the comparison of both the currencies so it has gone up by almost 40% in the last 5 7 years now uh, see any uh, developing economy would not want their currency to be stronger that's again you know uh, a part of the larger picture of the macroeconomic thing because you know they are exporting a lot of stuff a lot of it goods or services are being exported from india and when the dollar inflow is coming in they are getting more rupees for it so i think uh, the governments basically talk about it sometimes people are also uh, not very happy because again it is uh, it is something which is creating a lot of uh, pressure on the inflation but there is nothing no one is doing about it it's it's all the same well i guess the reason i ask that is in other conversations sort of of we've broached this idea that in the countries that actually make stuff and actually export things such as india um these are the countries where bitcoin represents a really powerful opportunity because um you know there's a lot of outflows of goods and then a lot of inflows of of money for those goods and settling even a small percentage of that in bitcoin could you know massively change 
um, the amount of Bitcoin that's within the country. Yeah, you, you're correct on that. Like, you know, if, if we talk about the remittance, India is the biggest remitter in the world. Uh, we remit more than $250 billion every year from different parts of the world. So if we just take one industry, the remittance industry, it's it's a huge, huge number. Yeah. But again, uh, because uh, things are not regulated, people are still afraid to you know go ahead and accept Bitcoin as a form of money or form of payment. Like uh, if I wish to open a grocery store and accept Bitcoin over there, I cannot do it because it's it's not considered as a legal tender. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So there's a bit of work there in terms of that. Do you see any positive news or potential changes to that approach to? Not anytime soon. Oh, okay. Not anytime soon. It will take time. Maybe uh, the next government will understand it better. In fact, this government also understand it's better, uh, understand, uh, you know, the power of decentralized money. Uh, but again, they see it as a threat to their, uh, you know, existence and they see it as a threat to uh, the so-called CBDC, which they are planning to launch. Okay, so there's, along with this UPI payment system, there's also a CBDC in, in the works? Yeah, yeah, in the works. It's it's certainly going on and hopefully very soon we'll see, you know, in, in I think quite a lot of uh, countries, the CBDC work is still going on. I think very soon we'll be, uh, you know, using those CBDCs. Interesting. And it's all linked to the credit score kind of system. You know, it's it's all linked to your uh, social identity. Yeah. This is what they're trying to do. How would you characterize overall, um, and again, 1.4 billion people, but how would you characterize the relationship with the Indian government? Is it seen as this kind of paternal figure that's everywhere, uh, the bureaucracy infiltrating all aspects of society? Is it seen as a, a bit of a pain? Like, how do people relate to the state? Uh, well, I think uh, getting work done in India is uh, not that easy. But if you know the means, if you know the ways, uh, then all, all things are easy for you. I say. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I will just summarize all the things in this one line. I think yeah. I'm, I'm uh, trying to convince the idea of what exactly happens here. But yeah. Uh, I think opening a company is, uh, you know, is a task which was, which earlier used to take more than a month. Now mm. they have, they are working on it and making India a very, you know, friendly state in terms of starting a business. Mm. But still there are, uh, you know, things that needs to be uh, changed and corrected, which I think I'm sure the government is working on, mm. uh, you know, other than that, uh, if you want to connect to the uh, politicians or the government or the officials, I think that is still a challenge. Like, uh, let's suppose I have a suggestion for, you know, uh, for the mayor of my city. You know, there are a lot of uh, things that I need to, there's a lot of protocols that I need to follow and share to my, uh, you know, share with my mayor, uh, I need to go through a lot of hassles to uh, raise my voice and to reach to that particular person. So yeah, there's still a challenge because see, uh, you know, uh, the population is so, so huge. You know, the number is so big that you cannot address everyone's population. Mm. Well, I mean, is it what, 28 states in India? 
plus you got the some other territories. Yes, union territories. Yeah. Yes, so um, right. the eight union territories. So, you know, these thirty six entities overall. How would you describe though? Is it a case of big government? Like, there's a a, a person you got to go and see to do anything? Is there offices everywhere that you need to? Kind of like city offices or state offices that you need to visit. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are. Uh, so there is basically a segmented layer. So uh, you know, our country has a prime minister. Then every state has its own chief minister, and then there is a government which is formed every five years. The government is formed in in those states. There is elections. It's the largest democracy in the world. So yeah, we do have general elections every year or every five years. And, uh, you know, that's how the government is formed. We do have city offices, district offices, you know, offices of the government on village level. So there are different sections where, you know, all these things are planned. And, uh, you know, uh, if, I, if I just talk about one state in the north, which is Uttar Pradesh, it's, I think it will take almost half of Europe's population in that one state. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to uh, you know run the government here. It's it's very difficult actually. Uh, sometimes people criticize, but I think uh, running uh, you know a government at this capacity at this stature is also not a small deal. It's it's a very big thing to satisfy everyone in certain ways, like you know. Uh, uh, when when politicians maybe you know they they make the policies, it's a standard policy for all the people across, right? Mm-hmm. It cannot just be in favor of one or two people. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tedious task. It's it's a task uh, which will which, which takes a lot of time. And I think you know the new government is actually working towards it. It it will take a lot of time. The things are changing, but we just pray for the best. Yeah, no, certainly, and I think. I mean, if you look at somewhere like China, where it's a slightly different approach, a very much a strong, uh, centric, um, you know, single, single directive given from Beijing to the whole country. And right. though in the short term there can be a lot of progress made, there's questions about what that means for the long-term viability. Yeah. Um, certainly, I mean, I'm I'm curious. I mean, India. It seems like it's still just chugging along. You know, and as you said, it is the world's biggest democracy, and there is this. I mean, would you say there's a sense of progress in in the in recent years? Or yes, absolutely, there's a very big progress. Uh, I'll say that for sure that the progress Mm. is there, it's happening. Uh, But because uh, of again, as I said, uh, population, it's not a challenge anymore. It's I think every company in the world or every country in the world is willing to come to India or join hands with India because they see India as the biggest potential market. Mm. So there are a lot of things which are going on, uh, which generally uh, normal people, people like us, they they can't see, but there are a lot of works, uh, you know, in the background which are going on. So yeah, we are progressing every single day. Uh, you know, it, it will take more time because uh, we got our independence, like not a long time in, in terms of a country. It's not a long time, but yeah, we, we are progressing every single day. Yeah. And and things are uh, happening for good. Interesting. And I guess finally, Palash, um, just in terms of what what we've been talking about, this kind of idea of Bitcoin, um, how is that coming through in India in terms of 
uh, Bitcoin communities, Bitcoin meetups, um, uh, you know, conferences, that sort of thing. Is there much of that? Um, do you see it growing in the future? Uh, well, I think uh, it's, a, it's again, uh, you know, a subjective question because I think for Bitcoin, people are working. There is a small community uh, which uh, is trying to keep things alive. But I think all these altcoin communities are popping up more. So we do have uh, all these, uh, you know, meetups which are going on regular on a regular basis. But it's it's more of the altcoin meetups which generally people do, and that too during the bull market. Yeah, <laughs> as we all know it, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah, the Bitcoin community is is I think uh, very small right now because the Bitcoin only narrative sometimes when you know, uh, when it's, as, as, as I said, you know, it, it becomes sometimes more toxic. Hmm. So that's where people basically try to uh, evaporate. See, I'll, I'll tell you one thing uh, in this, I would point, want to, you know, just point this out. So th there are two things uh, which generally, uh, you know, people say that, you know, if you are a Bitcoiner, you cannot be a shitcoiner or you cannot be a altcoiner or a no-coiner, right? The Bitcoiners initially, like, who are from the batch of 2011, 12, 13, maybe, you know, they, they bought their Bitcoins using fiat money, right? Mm. They were no-coiners earlier. Now they are hardcore Bitcoiners or Bitcoin maxis because they hold a bag of it. What about a person who is, uh, you know, uh, earning an average salary, let's say forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, right? That that's too high in India, though. But still, like you know, if, if someone uh, you know earning forty, fifty thousand dollars a year uh, wants to you know save some money, he cannot get the same amount of exceptional returns which Bitcoin has given, and that's the reason why this young generation they are flocking towards uh, you know these different altcoins to basically take gains. Maybe they'll convert it back to Bitcoin or not. I don't know. But, uh, you know, there, there's again again a gap, right? So when when I try to find people who are only Bitcoiners, who don't talk about, uh, you know, all these other shitcoins, there's, there's a very handful of people. Uh, you know, I, I recently met a friend who is also a Bitcoiner. So we were again planning to do a small meetup. But again, the thing is, the narrative... Uh, is totally different. When we spoke to a few more people, they were like, you know, okay, it's only Bitcoin only meetup. All right, we, I think we will see you guys next time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, that that's uh, that's a bit of I think challenge, and that's where we need to uh, understand how we can actually include everyone else in the community, how we can actually get them on board. We yeah. need to find more ways to be more inclusive towards yeah. other people as well. Yeah, I think that's certainly what I've been sort of thinking about lately. I mean, even talking about gold, you know, it's it's easy to shit on gold and say, well, you know, well, how, how are the returns on gold over the last 10 years? You know, it's pretty flat. But um, when you when you take into account some of the cultural context of what it means and, mm. you know, I, I don't think, a reality where gold housing stocks and everything gets demonetized, you know, overnight in favor of Bitcoin is actually a very stable way to do it. And I think, it, if anything, it's a, a multi-decade 
multi-generation and movement you know yeah that's right i think gold gold is not to uh you know increase your wealth it's it's basically to preserve your wealth yeah so gold is a is a instrument which will actually preserve your wealth over generations mm. it's it's not to grow your wealth you know if you want to grow your wealth uh definitely you have bitcoin mm. but uh not gold yeah yeah but just even the way it gets talked about you know it's almost like well you know gold is a shit coin and uh, it's it's a shiny yellow rock and and i sometimes think yeah you know that is true in a sense but also uh, you know no matter what happens is gold is gold right and there is just this nuance and this kind of mix of things that are valuable to people and whether it's purely the financial value or the the social value of something like a gold ring maybe sometimes sentimental value as well you know maybe uh, you know someone's father gifted a ring or you know some bracelet or some locket or anything you know whatever some gold ornament to the kids mm. you know mm. so there is sentimental value as well attached to it and that's why it is precious yeah till now yeah well it's a, it's just that um open conversation and i think avoiding dogma and just you know thinking it's true because you want it to be true um yeah the reality is this is um you know just as with anything in india it's it's a huge population things take time to work through the system and i think what we can agree on most people can understand now at least in some form is that fiat money is really the issue here is that there is nothing behind it and the reality is you know even even with stocks gold real estate there is something behind it um and so fleshing out that discourse and that kind of discussion and, and at least talking about these things is really important because you know as you say it's, it's it's difficult to gift bitcoin some people still don't want it even if it's in their best interest to take it that's right so that's what i said you know it's it's more on the education aspect mm. of it so let's suppose you know we we just go in a groceries uh, if you remember in tokyo there is uh you know a tap room bar yeah yeah i went there yeah it? yeah yeah you went there yeah so we also you know i i, I went there and you know the lady uh, at the counter so while we were just leaving you know we were like three four friends that time and and while we were leaving we just gifted that lady you know some satoshis right so just need to understand she said that you know what will i do of this so we have to actually handhold people into the system into the ecosystem and that's where uh, i think the secret sauce lies to global mass adoption yeah which i think nobody is doing it right now yeah you need to handhold people into the ecosystem we need to tell them that you know maybe you know lady you can just spend it at the same place where you're working right if you want to uh, you know buy drinks for your friend or you know you want to go anywhere else i think uh, you have to tell them what exactly can be done let's suppose you know i went to a bitcoin conference in a taxi i'm orange billing the taxi driver but what will he do of it then i will make him understand you know that this is a place where you go and meet bitcoiners every week or maybe this is the place where you know you can find bitcoiners you open a wallet of satoshi take some sats right keep keep them with you you go there educate yourself more you start saving in bitcoin whenever people are you know uh, coming from that meetup you can just drop them back or more satoshi mm. and you know that that is how we I, i think we need to handhold them mm. 
in the long in the long run in the long game and that is how they'll be able to understand it more yeah no it's exciting and look i think um 1.4 billion people in india um if we can just get the housewives all thinking about bitcoin we're gonna we're going to the moon um (laughs) yeah um, yeah. (laughs) that's cool man i look i think this is really cool and this is the kind of conversation i i do want to have on this show because it really provides a, a different perspective um you know like it's it's not the laser eyes memes and the you know the the twitter stuff it's you know that, that that's a cult which you know only a handful of people can understand yeah right? it's um it's hundreds of millions of families throughout places like india who are sort of looking at what they're gonna do they're looking at their thousand two thousand rupee notes that are getting demonetized they're looking at the gold that they're buying regularly or receiving and they're thinking what else can we do to improve ourselves improve our family's situation so we can have a good life and a better life for our children and that's ultimately low time preference and that's kind of what bitcoin's all about right right that's right um palash i appreciate your time um this is really great stuff um if people want to follow you get in touch what's the best way for them to Find, uh, find you. I I actually try and avoid using any kind of social media as okay. such. So I'm I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> I'm not available yeah. uh, anywhere. Uh, I I don't use any kind of social platform. But yeah, I do have uh, Noster that I use. If if anybody uh, if anyone wants to follow me on Noster, I think uh, Bitmaniac-07 is my uh, you know thing. Uh, if you want, I can share my info with you. You can just you know uh, pin it uh, in the in the comment section. So I think that's the best way to connect. I, I agree. I think Nostra is the best way to connect. Um, it's much better <laughs> than everything else. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to maybe catching up with you in India sometime. We'll come over and... Yeah, I would love to host you, you know, for sure. Um, um, we had this conversation. I would, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'm really interested in the whole area, just everything going on. It seems just like a, a lot of opportunity and um, maybe we could go go watch a game of cricket or something man um yeah uh, all right bro well i appreciate it and um yeah let's keep in touch yeah sure all right thank you thank you thank you for listening i do hope you enjoyed the show i am cody allingham and that was the transformation of value if you'd like to get in touch please send me an email at hello at the transformation of value.com and i will get back to you